Hey, all right. Good morning. Welcome to Let's Go Live with Jack Kelly. And today, our super duper special guest, Kelly Rivnak. Yes, nailed it. Yes. So <laughs> Kelly is a recruiter and a wonderful person. And you know what? Let, let, maybe you can explain what you do, what kind of recruiting you do, and, and maybe a little bit to offer some color of, of what you're currently seeing in the job market right now. Okay. No, that's great. So yes, Kelly Rivnack, I am with Knack Digital and I specialize in helping small to medium-sized businesses identify and I attract talent to their team. So focusing more on direct placement, um, certainly that can depend upon the organization itself, but really focusing in the niches of marketing, tech, and some creative and yeah, I've been uh, self-employed for over nine years now, offering services either on a, a fractional basis, so partnering with those companies and kind of working embedded in those teams as a partner, or certainly can partner with organizations more on like a search basis in case they're looking to identify particular talent on more of a, a specific search. And that will certainly parlay over into how we're going to discuss the different types of recruiters yeah. that are out there, because I think it's important for people to understand that recruiter just doesn't encompass one type of role and they all have different objectives. So I think understanding who those recruiters are, what they do will help a job seeker kind of tailor what their outreach and, and how they approach those recruiters will be more beneficial in their own job search. Yeah. Can I just take a step back? So we mentioned small, like what size companies do you, when you talk about small? So for me, usually my value is for organizations who either have generalist mm -hmm. um, TA teams where they might be just filling all different roles from accounting. Um, maybe they don't have a particular expertise in tech or marketing, so they'll bring me on because I have a great network and expertise in that particular arena to help identify talent for those particular teams or maybe even companies that don't have an internal recruiter. So they need to hire someone uh, specifically to support the, support the hiring for those roles. So small to medium, that can be you know anywhere from 50 200, 300 people altogether. I've certainly had exceptions for that as well, but that's usually where I find the most value. Is it sometimes hard, harder you think when it's a small mid-size place to recruit for because it doesn't have maybe that cachet or brand name of like a Meta or Goldman Sachs or Morgan Stanley? Does that present well, a challenge? It is. And I think partnering with those organizations because a lot of them will think that they'll rattle off a job description and think that the yeah. talent's going to come running to them. So I think it's a matter of working with them to identify, you know, what is your value prop? Why mm. would somebody want to come work for this organization? And small, medium-sized businesses, that's not for everybody. Some people like that corporate structure a little more. So it's not going to be right for everybody, but I think kind of working with these organizations and teams to understand the type of persona and type that would be a good fit for that that company is is kind of a work in progress with yeah. those organizations. Is there a kind of a sales pitch that, in a way, say if you work at this company, you know, ABC, relatively small, mid sized company, hey, we're not this ginormous J P Morgan with you know two hundred thousand workers all over the place. 
and you're just like this small little fish in the ocean. But if you come here, you're right. going to make a difference. Is that uh, so? On the flip side, does that maybe help at times where somebody feels lost in a huge bureaucratic corporation and they could go to a smaller firm and say, hey, I'm going to get noticed. I'm going to get in touch with the executives. Is that, yeah. does that no, work? That's true. I mean, more visibility. Yeah. I think some people get bored. I mean, I've mm -hmm. heard from people who, you know, I can't make any impact. It's taking a while to even get this product, you know, off the shelf and moving, you know, hear it a lot in government, but I think depending upon what that person's goal is, I mean, if they just had a family and maybe they just want to, I don't want to say cruise, but maybe yeah. just, you know, kind of moving along during that stage in their life might work best for them, but others who are bored and want to challenge or even like doing all of the things in a small startup company where, you know, you might have to take on, you know, three different tasks where most people might not have an interest in that. Other people see that as a challenge and maybe can get more hands-on in, you know, implementing different types of projects or, you know, being exposed and maybe be able to move over and do a stretch project and learn new skills. So, you know, there's, I think, benefits and drawbacks to each different type of environment. And I think that depends upon the company as well. But, you know, every type of structure isn't going to be a best fit for all. So I think that's the beauty of, you know, looking at all these different companies and cultures and structure and all those good details that are important to kind of discover during that interview process itself. Now, I'm glad you shared that, Kelly, because I think sometimes there's this bias for job seekers who want that prestige name on their resume. Like even when they leave, it's like X Google, X, you know, alphabet, X, yes. you know what I mean? To show off, look how great I am. I worked at all these mm -hmm. places. But then there's some, you know, there's a lot of merit to like you were just talking about for maybe a small or mid-sized company where you may not have that marquee name. But you can have more responsibilities, you could juggle more things, you get more notice, maybe you could climb the corporate ladder much quicker, you know, right. and, then, and then also, sometimes maybe the pressure is not as intense as a big bureaucratic, you know, metric driven place that could drive right. you nuts. Right, uh, exactly. Or if it's great for you early in your career to kind of learn that, mm. and then maybe move on to the bureaucratic yeah. big organization too. So you can try new things. And, you know, I've seen it go both ways where, you know, one starts here and decides to go that way. So it's about trying, I think, new experiences and learning what you like and what you don't like and, and evaluating that and then mm -hmm. making decisions moving forward. And kind of similar. And we started talking about it till I interrupted you. <laughs> I asked you some questions is that with recruiters, it's just like big, you know, big companies, small companies. They're it's not all the same, right? Like they're different types of recruiters, they're different specialties. So maybe you could share a little bit, you know, just a yeah. little bit for people who are not really aware that's not like one recruiter fits all, right? It's no. it doesn't work that way. So maybe you right. could share a little bit. Yeah. So I think two of the the big major differentiators differentiators are you have your internal recruiters and you have your external recruiters third party agency recruiters so internal being they work for that brand their objective and while of course both objectives are yes to identify talent for their open positions or recs so internal is going to be working a little bit differently and you know maybe for the Googles or the Amazons, where some are going to be supporting particular hiring managers or teams for you know, that specific project or 
you know, sector. So you could have, you know, aerospace, or you could have technology or accounting. So, and this will certainly apply to agency third-party recruiters as well, but there are going to be recruiters who are supporting particular types of roles typically. So internal recruiters are working very specific for those open recs, but the difference being is that they are just supporting that one brand. They only have, let's say, five positions that they're recruiting on. So you know, they might be getting you know, messages from people about, hey, you know, do you have a position that fits this? If you're not a fit for these, you know, five different roles, then you're not really solving their problem and objective at that moment. So their objective is to identify talent for those, let's say, five roles. Um, and also for that brand as well. So let me flip, I'll get back to that thought, but kind of flipping back mm -hmm. over to the external recruiters. So this can be your tech systems, which are, I don't want to make assumptions about anyone, but let me kind of say that there are different kind of ranks in terms of how external recruiters work too. Mm -hmm. So you have, you know, at the top, there can be retained. So that can be, you know, anywhere from executive, I do, you know, no retained recruiters who will also work on different level searches as well. But the retained recruiters are going to be engaging and partnering with companies who basically give a payment upfront, which in a sense shows that they're committed to a partnership and identifying talent. So there's a, a I think a higher level of commitment for mm -hmm. identifying talent or, or search process itself. Um, there is contingency level, which means these recruiters will, there is no engagement fee. There's typically an emphasis and there there certainly can be exceptions where there are exclusive arrangements for contingency, but again, that will be more retained where there's exclusive relationships. Contingency, it could be that they engaged with 10 different contingency firms and they're all out there, you know, hunting for the same talent. So there's a kind of more of an urgency of speed mm -hmm. and finding candidates to bring to the table fast. Um, which is where you might be seeing these mass emails go out and there's just, they want to find somebody, they want to bring them to the company, they get paid once they provide the candidate that will be hired. So I think that that's where you see a lot of the the quantity, if that makes sense, for contingency. I don't know if you want to, to touch on that anymore. Um, and then also that being said too, there are some recruiters that will do just temp and contract work as well, which um, that's also a different world. So if you're looking for something that's permanent and there's some recruiters that just specialize in, in hiring contract, um, basically workers for that role, that's probably not going to be a good fit for you as well. So that was a lot of information. Let me go. Let me <laughs> that was good. That was good because, because I think it's important for people to know there's a lot of confusion that happens and, and it leads to a lot of frustrations. And I think I saw we uh, uh, a LinkedIn post that you wrote something and I was following and writing about because what happens a lot, what I see is that a person feels, oh, okay, I need a recruiter or someone will recommend a recruiter and they feel, okay, now I have a recruiter, that person could help me. But it's not so easy because you, in my opinion, you want to find a recruiter who specializes in your space if possible because then they're going to know the companies, they're going to know the 
corporate culture. They're going to have a good sense of the compensation. They may have even hired the manager that you're going to report to. So you kind of get that not insider knowledge. Um, if you use a recruiter who doesn't know anything about your, your job and your area, it's going to be hard, if not maybe impossible to place that person because you just don't have the context. I mean, maybe, you know, if you're a great recruiter, you may be over time, but it's going to be a little harder, a little challenging because you don't know it. And I think that's where it gets a lot of where job seekers and job hunters get frustrated because they're just feeling like, hey, I got a recruiter. Why aren't they helping me? Or why are they blowing me off? And they might be blowing you off because as Kelly was talking about, you have these contingent recruiters who get paid and it's a really tough world. You, you know, you, it's, it's, and this is a gross kind of thing that they say, it's like, eat what you kill. So it's like, you know, it's, it's like in the Serengeti. I mean, you gotta, if you, if you don't eat, you don't, if you don't kill, you don't get that prey, you're going to starve to death. And same with contingency recruiters, you got to place that person because you're not getting any money if you come in second or third. So right. if you're good for the role, and like, as Kelly was saying, that's why you get just like jumped on because like, oh my God, you know, Kelly's great for this role. And they're going to just, just latch on to you because they know I'm going to have a good chance to place her and I'm going to get my commission. So I'm going to work really hard. But if Kelly's not right for the role, I'm going to kind of blow her off. And I'm not saying this is right to do, but right. you know, it, just for the audience who knows, this is if you've experienced it, this is what's going on behind the scenes. This is why we do this stuff. So we can mm -hmm. kind of turn back, you know, open up, you know, the curtains so you can kind of see what happens. So then instead right. of spending time, you know, with Kelly, they're going to just kind of quickly just blow her off and go on to a candidate who's good for the job. And you're you're left like, what the heck just happened here? You're so rude, <laughs> recruiter. So, so this is what happens, right? These are this it is. is why it's important to know. Yeah, it's you know I think too is something that's important to highlight too is you know with the external recruiters too is that they might have relationships and this can be yeah. retained, this can be contingencies that they do have relationships with different companies. So you know, as opposed to an internal where they are just re representing that one brand, um, there is you know, more variety in terms mm -hmm. of those partnerships that those external agencies might have. So, you know, if you're looking at, you know, different industries, they might have different options as well. Yeah. But I think it's really important to understand, you know, the industries that they serve, the type of roles that they're placing, because if you're, you know, I actually just got a call from um, an ex-neighbor yesterday, he called me and he's like, you know, I don't really know what you do, but, you know, working with the sales guy and he's in the job market and so I think a lot of people kind of get in that basically sense that I need to go find a job, I need a recruiter, but I don't really know how to find a recruiter or who to talk to is kind of understanding, you know, A, how those, who those recruiters serve, and then kind of getting to know, you know, who they're tapped into in their network and the companies that they're serving will, you know, serve you better. Because I can't tell you how much outreach I get about, you know, jobs that are completely out there that I just would have no idea on where to go to market these people or to even place them with clients of mine. So I think understanding, you know, who they serve is a good first step in terms of if that will be a, you know, a good person for you to kind of continue to develop that relationship with. Uh, you know, I'll give you a great example. During the financial crisis, um, when, you know, so many people were laid off and you know, being in the, you know, New York City area, Wall Street was hit really hard. 
And so I would get all these calls from people who lived in my area, like, hey, I lost my job. Can you get me a job? Or that maybe they'll see my wife somewhere and say, hey, I believe your husband yeah. does recruiting. Can he get me a job and whatever? And then oftentimes, you know, my wife or myself is saying, you know, I just like you, like, I don't know that area. I can't help. I want to help. but I just don't. You can put a gun to my head. I, I can't do it because I just don't know the people. I just don't know enough about that area to help. And then they get mad because because <laughs> they don't believe that because I, I here i'm being honest right i'm like giving you the reasons like i would like to help and explaining hey i don't specialize in your space i don't know your space i don't have any contacts in your space i don't have contracts and to be a recruiter you need a contract with that company you know a, as you can imagine like any business relationship so i don't have uh -huh. the contracts with them so i couldn't place them because i don't even have a contract to right. place the person there and they would get mad i'm like this is ridiculous <laughs> yeah this is like it's, they just didn't want to know of like they don't want to know that all right i can't help they just think oh jack's just a jerk you know he's yeah. just an ass and that's why he's not helping uh, yeah it's true i mean i tried to help a teacher friend of mine was she passed her resume yeah. off to me and she was looking for you know within the, the public school system and looking at the resume i'm like well i don't know what the industry standards are for right. what they're even looking for to even i was like is this important and that so i think I'm not going to provide expertise on any industry where I don't really know how that, you know, what people yeah. would be looking for in that. So ask the questions, ask, you know, if you're talking to these recruiters, and again, this is probably not so internal, but more for the external agency recruiters and hoping that people aren't feeding you lines that yes, we, you know, over promising, right, right. Um, that they will be very clear about if they can help you or not. So I would ask the question if, you know, first, do you place people or do you work with people who have my background would be a good place to start for the, the external side. Exactly. Right. That, so that right at the beginning, then this way it clears the air of like, Hey, what I can do, what I can't do. Can I help? Can I not help? So, yes. so it makes people, you know, comfortable and hopefully not be mad. Like, Oh, you really do do that, but you don't want to, you just don't want to help me. But mm -hmm. so this way, at least they understand. Um, yes. Related to this, like what what have you been seeing? Because you do tech and you do marketing. How is it? Like, how are you seeing it now? Because I, I see that the market for white collar professionals is really rough across the board. Well, what do you what what have you been yes. seeing lately? Well, I think I use my recruiter community as kind mm -hmm. of my pulse for okay. when companies are hiring. So I know, and while I have seen some that are actually starting to get hired and placed and starting to help companies scale over the past couple months, it's been rough this year. So, and looking at tech and marketing where if companies don't need internal recruiters or even external recruiters, that tells me that they're likely not hiring or that they're also just getting a massive influx of just applicants that um, of course you still need internal TA teams to do the recruiting. AI is not doing that for anybody. Um, but you do need those teams internally to still go through it. But I think just the inventory and speaking on behalf of just tech um, and marketing has just been high. So it's, um, which I think reflects on the frustrations that a lot of job seekers have right now is that they're just, you know, it's taking longer. They're not getting interviews. Mm -hmm. It's just because the pendulum has swung back and there's just more people who are in the job market. There's no magic bullet answer, but what do you think? Like, what could people do, who, whether it's tech, marketing, 
what have you, because it does seem pretty much across the board mm-hmm. that, you know, it's a slowdown in hiring, tightening the belt, cutting costs, all that stuff. What, what could people do maybe to stand out? Um, so I would probably take a look. So first I'm going to plug, use a job tracker, or just track your activity for just your own mental sanity, because mm-hmm. it feels you know, day in and day out that you might be just, you know, doing thing after mm-hmm. thing and just feeling like you're not making any gains. And I know for me, it's always helpful for me to see a dashboard of just activity that shows I did put some work in today, but mm-hmm. also I think as far as just keeping track of who you're reaching out to, informational interviews, where you're applying, just keeping that information there so you can refer back to it. So, you know, big suggestion to use a job tracker, whether that's, you know, a spreadsheet, whether that's, I mean, I love Teal. They have a great job mm-hmm. tracker as well. Use that. Um, but just track your activity. But I will say that, you know, if you're doing the same thing over and over again, right? Like how they say about insanity. I mean, I think that you need to change things up a little bit. So um, there was an article and I don't remember who did it. I know Amy Miller posted it yesterday. I think it was a Forbes article, but mm-hmm. it was broken down about just LinkedIn activity. And then the bottom was statistics of how people are, and this is reporting more from internally, the statistics of where people are identifying their talent. And you know, typically it's usually around these three different areas that is going to be either application, uh, networking, which is typically referrals, and then recruiters. So thinking around those three different areas is how can you diversify your strategy where you're kind of targeting all three of those different areas um, as opposed to just, you know, all applicants. So, you know, if you're relying just on networking, you do need to be applying to jobs that are a fit or you do need to be reaching out to recruiters. So making sure that you're hitting those three different areas. So you got to do a little bit of everything, right? You can't just rely on one piece of it, but try a little bit of everything. Yes. And I, you know, breaking down all three of those two is there's obviously different ways to go about it. So if that's, you know, if it's even changing your LinkedIn headline or, you know, just changing things to see if it makes a difference in the results. So if it's, you know, making sure your LinkedIn page is optimized and using different you know, summary or a headline or keywords and kind of reworking that. I mean, of course, all the content needs to be there, but, you know, making changes maybe to a resume. I mean, I think the first step in anything is making sure that you have clarity around what you are targeting. I mean, if you're just kind of, you know, shooting things left and right and hoping that things will will hit, then that's not a good strategy, especially in this market. Um you know, with recruiters, internal agency. I mean, if, you know, you see the the recommendation that you need to hit 60% of the requirements, well, you know, if you have 60% and then, you know, 10 people have, you know, 100%, those people are likely going to be converted to an interview before the 60%. So you need to make sure that you are being, you know, very clear about highlighting how your experience and your results directly and whether that be through interview or, or through a resume or well, a, a online presence is a little bit differently, but specifically for a resume that that does speak to that particular role itself. Yeah, so, so it's really when it's a tougher market and a slower market, it's like you got to double up your efforts. You have to you make do. sure that the resume is, is, is 
right on target that matches up with the job description. You have to make sure your LinkedIn profile and everything there is just, just solid networking, get in touch with some recruiters, um, have a job tracker to keep you kind of focused on what you're doing and to see the metrics, to make sure that keeps you honest. So it's almost as if you, you're, what you're saying is like, you got to hit all these things and just keep doing it because it's too easy just to throw up your hands and say, ah, oh, this is just terrible. You know, it's just not working. I give up. Right. Yeah. And I think in, in networking is a funny thing, especially when your urgency picks up. Right. Because I think mm-hmm. the gut instinct for a lot of people is to just start, you know, sending these very transactional, Hey, you know, this is what I'm looking for. Can you help me? And and some people are very helpful and want to help. And you might get, you know, some results from that. But I think you know, you need to really start net, networking when you really don't need to find a job. And it's more of a, you know, as they say, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. So putting in that time to really provide mutual value to each other. And I think that's going to be a little bit more difficult as opposed to doing the direct applying, but it will, you know, I've been talking to people over the past two months who have said, I've seen a pretty strong response as far as, and this is probably for more senior level roles where they have been, you know, maybe somebody, they, their prior president or VP reached out when they moved over to a job Mm -hmm. and directly recruited them over. So I think it's important to a reach out to the people that can actually vouch for your work. So maybe those first degree connections, whether you freelance with them or you worked with them, you know, prior to where you are now is that's always the first step in networking is reach out to those people who can speak positively on behalf of your work, because they are going to be the true advocates for you for that company, as opposed to, you know, more of the, the weak ties that can't really, I guess, advocate for your, your work ethic, if that makes sense. Okay. So this, bear with me here. So this could segue into a different conversation where I, this could be kind of debunking myths or good advice or bad advice. If you don't want, can I run some things by you and and you won't hurt my feelings and Christine, feel free to jump in too. If it's like good advice, bad advice, dumb advice, good advice, whatever it is, right? Just because these are things that that always come up. And the reason I want to, I'm, I'm bringing this up is with networking. What I'm coming to the realization of for networking right now, like you hear networking and everyone has the ick when you hear networking, right? You think like you're in with your suit and tie, at least for guys. I'm not sure what like the appropriate <laughs> things for women, right? Like you have the suit, the tie, right? And then, you know, you have your, your, your sticker, like who you are. Hi, I'm Jack, you know, on your thing. Hi, Kelly, this is Jack Kelly. It's a pleasure to meet you, blah, blah, blah. And it's like so cringe. And it's, this is terrible. I, so I, I would rip out that playbook, right? I'm thinking now, and, and this is where you, I, you won't hurt my feelings if you say I'm the jerk. I'm, if you've been looking for a long time, right? And you can't find a job. I think you need burn all the boats behind you. And you got to do and call in every favor from anyone you know and say, hey, Kelly, hey, Christine, I've been out of work for two months, three months, four months, six months. I got to get back to work financially, mentally. My mental health is, is is deteriorating. I can't stand. I'm watching too much TV at home. I'm going nuts. My family's sick of me being in the house. So it's like you have to go to whoever you know 
you know, start with like the most closest people to then spreading out, you know, the weaker leagues and just whatever you do, call in any, any chip, anything they owe you, anything, whatever, and just say, Hey, who do you know that's hiring? Do you know someone at your company that's hiring? And just really like twist their arm, which sounds like really bad. You know, I, I get it. As I'm saying, it sounds really bad, but then sometimes you don't have a freaking choice. Like, what are you <laughs> supposed to do? So, all right, Christine, yeah. uh, what do you think? Am, am I an ass by, by saying that you should do that it's, and put people? Or... I mean, you need to brand it. Like, what is it? The Hail Mary, a Hail Mary effort? Yeah, it's like know? a Hail like, Mary pass kind of. Yeah, you're just going for it, right? You're just like, I hey, mean, I got to go for it because if I don't, I'm going to lose the football game. You know what I mean? So I have no choice. With that, I mean, said, would you encourage people to take a bridge job as well? Does that fall under that umbrella of just doing whatever you have to do during that time? That's a good I mean, idea. I think so. Yeah. yeah that's I a mean, great idea. Like, re I mean, I don't know if this is still like retail's coming up with UPS or working retail. I mean, Amazon. People need to pay their bills. There's yeah. no shame in, I, you might learn. I mean, I come from the restaurant business and there was so much to be learned from, I mean, from people management to, customer service to managing vendors. I mean, there's so much that you can learn from, you know, just from a, a basic skill perspective that could be transferable that shows that you were doing something, but also that you need to pay the bills. So, you know, whether that's picking up project work, there's no shame in that. So I am a big advocate for going out, and, you know, finding the work that you need to, so you can pay your bills. So let's take this to the next step. All right, Christine Kelly. So let's say you take a role, you know, in a restaurant, you know, I think you mentioned you worked in a restaurant before. So you, you're familiar to put the ego aside and say, okay, short term, I'm going to work at this restaurant and I get a lot of tips and it's all cool. And, you know, gets my mind off of it. So I'm not just sitting ruminating at home about mm -hmm. like not having a job, getting some money coming in, meeting, seeing people, socializing, maybe one of the people, the people I serve, I'm going to ask them if, you know, maybe they have a job, mm -hmm. but yeah. then the next step, maybe you say, you know what, instead of like, I've always worked for a big company and that's how I like identify myself. They say like, but maybe I should just go through the ranks and let's say this restaurant is a big chain and you could be a manager and then a division manager and then a multi-division manager and say, you know what, maybe it's not so sexy as working for an investment bank or big tech company, but if I could get paid fairly well and I enjoy what I do, what do you think? Is that, is that I good? Mean, is that bad advice to say like, Hey, let me, maybe if, if it's been at like seven, eight, nine months a year till I can't get a job, maybe to say, Hey, let me pivot and do something else and try to make it work. What, what do you, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think that you need to, I mean, it depends on like your micro macro goals mm -hmm. too. And I think yeah. there's a lot of people right now contemplating pivots. I mean, recruiters right now, um, you know, depending upon whether they got in in 2021, which was, yeah. you know, again, out of control time to get into recruiting, but thinking yeah. like, maybe this isn't a path for me and yeah. I need to, you know, whether it's HR or project management, or maybe I'm just going to completely pivot and go, you know, learn a trade. So I think, you know, sometimes you have to make decisions when it's not presented to you at a, an ideal time. I mean, I know I've been there before where life happens and you have to quickly make decisions for yourself. So kind of taking a look at your situation and, and 
kind of determining what might be, I mean, as you said, like if you're getting into restaurant management and there might be a pathway up, then it's a good time to explore, I think, other options, especially if you're getting frustrated in a search where there's just no demand for your, your skill set. Or you when, look at upskilling as well, which is another option. When you say about the trades, it's really funny. So there's a South Park episode where <laughs> all the white collar people of their town, wherever they are in South Park, can't, can't get jobs because they're all like these white collar workers. And you know how you would see like in front of a Home Depot, you have like a truck that comes by and they'll say, hey, do you day laborers want to come and do some work? And, you know, you do some day labor work. So instead, now you have the white collar people waiting there for someone to pick you up to do something. And <laughs> and the person who's you know, riding the trucks now, they're in, in like making fun of the white collar people say, hey, you know. Get a trade. You got to learn a trade. Yeah. And everyone is mad that they went to college and didn't get a trade. So yeah, maybe. I mean, are we switch. there? Maybe. I don't, you know, I'm, I mean, I am not an expert in the arena, but I think there's a lot of question regarding AI and what, you know, just in general automation and, and where AI is going to improve efficiencies and productivity for certain roles. So I think looking at some of these other trade type roles, I mean, and who knows what the future is going to hold too, but I think that it might be time to kind of reevaluate where instability is a, is a funny thing because it's certainly, I would never guarantee anything is stable, but I think that you, know, you kind of have to reassess where the demand in the marketplace is. And I think that also kind of trickles to remote work right now. And we're seeing less of it. And I mean, I worked remote for 10 years, so I'm mm -hmm. team remote. Um, but I think if you're in a situation where you can't find anything remote that either you have to really be a little bit more flexible, I think, in terms of, of what you're looking for and whether that is, you know, adding new skills where that demand might be higher for remote work or maybe entertaining hybrid or in-office options. So I think you have to kind of start being a little bit more flexible, I think, if you are in a, a point of, you know, month after month of not being able to identify what you want. So. All right. How about this? Yay or nay on this. So I feel that people should go into the office five uh -huh. days a week, particularly young people who are just starting off their career, or you're worried that your job's not safe. So even if you don't want to go in, you raise your hand, go, I'll work remote because I want people to notice me and see me and be the go-to person. So if they're going to be layoffs, they may not want to lay me off because they see Jack every day and he's working really hard. Whereas somebody who's remote, maybe they see once a week or two on a video call. What do you think? Remote? Is that, is that, is that good? Not good? Well, so first I will say I never would have been able to have learned recruiting, I think, fully remote. Now, I don't know what companies are doing now remote to teach their recruitment teams, but you know, being able to be in the pit per se, but mm -hmm. also learning just from people sitting next to me, my management there, you know, there was a lot of value in learning mm -hmm. what other people were doing, get that feedback, hear what people were doing, what didn't work, what did work. So I don't think I would have been successful, you know, learning the industry fully remote. Now, in terms of everyone as young professionals, I think first it depends on, I mean, if 
a lot of the management and team is actually coming to the office, but you're working remote, then I think regardless, there's going to be a little bit of a culture disconnect too, if you're just not coming into the office while most of the team is, but visibility. And I've, I've spoken to somebody who said that um, this is a large corporation. The upper management was getting complaints from some of their, their younger professional team that you know, they want to work remote, but they weren't having the opportunity to kind of gain visibility to yeah. and to receive those promotions. So it's, you know, you kind of can't have both, I don't think. I mean, again, there's probably exceptions where companies are doing a great job of this. But I think, you know, I am a, I think, an advocate for, yes, being in the office, if you can, yeah. if that's what the culture and company is more so hybrid or in office, then it's probably a good choice to to show up. And I'll you know, give you an instance where 26 years ago, right, where I get one of my first few offers and I'm like so excited. Oh, wow, I got this offer. Yay, this is fantastic. Uh -huh. And I remember vividly this guy, Mike Lane, who's been, you know, who's probably easily 10, 15 years older than me. And he's like, uh, hey, kid. He didn't say it like that, but kind of like that. Hey, kid. Just because they said, you know, they want to take it, you know, you got an offer doesn't mean <laughs> the person's going to take the job. Here's what you got to do now. And I was really surprised. Like, wait, but, you know, he went through all these interviews and he got the offer and naive Jack is thinking, like, of course he's going to take it. And he goes, that's not how it works, kid. No, no, no. Here's <laughs> what you got to do. And then he was walking me through how to make sure how to kind of sell that person, even though they went through it, they got an offer. You can't just say, oh, okay, I'm going to hope that the person's going to come. You got to really sell them on the offer, make them excited about the offer, get the acceptance, get them to sign the letter. And it's like, oh, whew. and if I was with that remote, it would be almost impossible to do that. You, you need that more senior person to be able to like give you that advice because otherwise, how, like I wouldn't learn. So yeah, I think that that's a good example of doing that. And mm -hmm. like you were saying about the young people, if you're not there a lot, you just, you don't know how this whole corporate world work. You kind of, it's, and how can you learn? So. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. I think that there's a, a happy medium and I think some companies are still kind of trying to figure it out. I think that I have seen at least a lot of organizations, it's not five days a week now where it's more of a negotiation of a couple of days in the office where everybody's in, they're collaborating and, you know, I think we're still, as a recruiter too, I mean, I've always been focused in the DC area. That was just, mm -hmm. you know, not a lot of companies were offering remote. So I think we're still, once we are back to more of a hybrid model is that companies are still limiting like a radius of where they're identifying talent, which is fine, but it still does, um, you know, limit the the talent pool, I think, when you are looking at hybrid versus remote. So. All right. How about, how about, we have time for a couple more. What do you think, Christine Kelly? couple more. Yeah. All right. How about this? I've, I've heard over the years, people say, don't take the first offer. And I'll, I'm not going to say anything, but like, what do you think about that? Is that good advice or bad advice? So, right. The, the advice is always negotiate, right. Is the advice that floats around. And I have many thoughts on this, but I yeah. think that if you are working with a recruiter who, A, discussions about compensation and expectations should be happening from the start. Um, 
those conversations need to be happening at every checkpoint throughout that process too of you know if for some reason you feel like that compensation range needs to kick out a little bit more given the information that you received about the role or the position or whatever it might be that needs that conversation needs to be happening now even before typically recruiters are talking to this person before they're going to be you know before an offer is being drawn up and talking about hey this is what the offer is going to look like I mean, not all companies, there are very strict salary bans and companies mm -hmm. need to be very mindful about being equitable with everybody else on the team. So you know, a lot of companies don't have a lot of room to negotiate, if at all, when they have these very strict salary bans to be equitable. So, you know, I mean, if you think that you can go in and, and, and negotiate, that's great. Mm -hmm. Some companies, yes, there might be some flexibility there, but you should, again, be having these conversations throughout the call. So then that offer likely could be the best because you've mm -hmm. talked about that prior right. to that point of an offer going out. Oh, cool. How about this? The this is the this is like everyone debates this all the time. The open to work banner. All right. You want my thoughts on that? Yeah, yeah. What do you think? All right. Yeah, yeah. So no. I am I am team open to work banner. Okay. Uh, as a recruiter, it's a visual cue to me that says, oh, you're an active job seeker. You're more motivated to find a position. So that's great for me. Um, you know, and I think, you know, it's funny too, because I'm thinking, and I'm sure you can relate to this, like in all other circumstances where it's okay to show that you're open to work. I mm -hmm. mean, remember the monsters and job boards where you're going in and you're posting your resume on these, that right. you're open to work or, you know, job fairs or, any other situation where you can be clearly blatant that you're open right. to work, but right. it's very right. unacceptable to brand yourself with a banner on LinkedIn because that's just desperate. I mean, it's ridiculous. You know, I agree. Here's here's my caveat, I would say, for the open to work. I could have cared less if you want to put it on or not. It's fine. But if you put it on, I think the person should give a little bit of a description about here's what I do, here are my responsibilities, here's what I want to do next, and maybe here's the type of companies that I like to work for. Because oftentimes when people do open to work, it's this like, oh, layoffs, oh, I lost my job, but I want to thank everybody at my company that were, you know, that fired me. Thank you very much. Yay. Um, and you look at their profile and you don't know what they do, what they want to do. So then you're like frustrated. Like, why? If I want to, you know, if you want your help, help me to help you. So that's right. the only kind of weird thing that that kind of irks me because I think it's self-defeating. If you just say, layoff, yeah, it is terrible. <laughs> you know, we all know that. Okay, we get it. But like, okay, if you want us to help us, how do we help? Give me the game plan of what you'd like us to do to help you. And and yeah. as we talked earlier in the conversation, if let's say you or I as recruiters specialize in that person's space, we'd be happy to say, oh my gosh, this is great. Because just to be very cold-blooded, that means if someone is in between work, they don't have to worry about a counter offer. And yeah, we'd like to help that person, place that mm -hmm. person and get a fee. So yeah. of course we want to help, but you right. got to tell us what it is because we can't play a guessing game. So, right. so yeah, so no. open to work with, I would say, I think we agree, open to work. And I'm just adding, please give some more detailed information to make people want to help you and can't help. You. Right. You know I mean? No, I agree. 
Yeah, I, I, I think, it, oh, go ahead, Christine. A, no, I was going to say, I have a myth that kind of piggybacks off of that. Okay. Um, uh, hiring managers prefer passive candidates over active candidates. Well, it's hard to make like a general assumption about all the people, but I will, and actually, so, and I think an agency recruiter, right? Like some of their value prop is we're going to bring you passive candidates, right? Like mm -hmm. that's kind of always been, I mean, that's what it was when I was with an agency is, hey, we're going to bring you these people who aren't on the job market. They're not active. So that has been, I think, kind of more on like the staffing side mm -hmm. where that has been their value prop to some of their clients. Now, I don't know stigma wise if all hiring managers feel that way. I mean, I would like to think that they're very objective in finding the person with, who is the best fit for that role, whether they're passive or active. Um, I mean, sometimes if they're very passive and not really motivated, then some companies will see that during the interview process that they don't really wanna make a move and they'll go with somebody who's a little bit more motivated. So I think it probably depends case to case, but what do you think? Great, great question, Chris. Great analysis there, Kelly, because it goes both ways. Like what I see personally is that if you have a, it's like, it's like dating. You want somebody, and, and I shouldn't be saying, cause like I'm an old married guy. So, but like, if I understand dating, how it works <laughs> is that you want someone that you can't have. It's like, if, if somebody is taken, you might be more interested because they're taken because they must be good because they're taken. So you mm -hmm. want that person. And if they're not taken, what's wrong? There's a problem. So I think hiring managers sometimes feel like, huh, if you're in between jobs, you know, or or you're passive, is there something wrong? On the other side of the coin, it does sometimes help where because the company wants someone they don't have. So it's like, I got this great person from, you know, from Goldman Sachs to bring over. And they're not actively looking, but I shared the job description and they're really interested and they'd be open. So now the hiring manager is like, ooh, wow, we're going to get this person who's not actively looking. They didn't lose their job. They're not worried about losing their job. And now we can get this awesome person. So yeah, this it's a weird kind of dynamic that goes on there, right? Yeah, it's, it is. And it's, I mean, the market's been rough the past, mm -hmm. what, I mean, year, layoff after layoff. So some people have just been caught up in some bad rifts. And so, you know, I think with that being said is you can't, you know, there's a stigma and bias against people who aren't working. And I think that it is part of our job to educate them mm -hmm. that, hey, look, like this person could be a great fit, even if yeah. they are, you know, got caught up in a really bad situation, but they could bring, you know, come in and solve your problem. They've done this before. So it just depends case to case, I think, really. And I think probably more on this senior and executive level where you'll see more of that, like headhunting and passive um, approach where people, you know, they want you to go out and identify people who are in those roles who can come over. So I think you see a lot of that more passive um, strategy for more of those senior level roles. You know, I like that you brought up about the like the long term unemployed because there is a bias up against that person because there's a judgment. You know, why was Jack out for six months? I don't understand. How is it possible? Why are you out for six months? What did you do wrong? You must have done something wrong, Jack. And you get that negative stereotype, but you disregard all that person did for the last 25 years, right? So it's, that's another one of those things is like, it, 
a lot of times companies will actually say that, you know, they'll tell me to my face that, well, I don't know, this person's been out for so long, there must have been a problem. Like, haven't you yeah. noticed the market? It's not easy. It's not yeah. great. Yeah. So, so that's, yeah, that's another one. How about a couple of two, just like a couple more easy ones. All right. Okay. How about this? A couple of easy ones. Let's see. Um, what do you think about this? When people say, follow your passion, good advice to kids, especially young people starting out. Good advice, bad advice, Chris, Kelly. As long as there's money in that passion. Is <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Good. I like that. <laughs> the honest answer. I mean, yeah. I, I don't I'm like, I want my, my children to kind of pick what interests them, but yeah. at the same time, like, I'm going to be a little hard in identifying, like, is there a demand for that in the market? Mm. Because listen, we deal with it day in and day out of people where like their skills just aren't needed. And here they are, you know, month after month having to reevaluate. I mean, how many people have I seen have made a complete pivot at age 40, 50, to go back to school or go back yeah. and get certifications just to you know, find a career where they can actually, it's a little bit more stable and it's in demand. So passion, passion, I mean, there's different elements of passion. And if you can find like an industry that's a passion and applying a different skill set to that industry, I mean, I think there's different ways to go about maybe finding a little bit of fulfillment. Um, passion is a pretty subjective subjective goal mm -hmm. um i think depending upon how somebody looks at it so do you think how about related to it do you think that for let's say the millennials and maybe kind of old, like gen z's who's on the uh, you know 24 25 year old part of the 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 band that a lot of them are very unhappy and disgruntled because they we're told go to college, they go to college and then they're following their passion. Maybe their passion is anthropology or medieval Greek literature, whatever it is. Yeah. Right. And then they're passionate about it, but then they go and graduate and they try to get a job and there's not a need in the marketplace for their skills. So now they're like, Oh my God, I'm $200,000 in debt. And I, you know, I, I love doing studying what I studied in college, but like it doesn't apply anywhere. And I, I wonder if that's why you have this whole cohort of young people who are like really feeling ticked off. Like they just got the rug pulled out from under them and with high inflation, and high costs, like I can't even afford an apartment. I got to move back with my folks. You know, I can't get a car. I can't afford to get a car. And, yes. and so it's these things like it's funny because like we talk about it we're talking a little lighthearted, but the ramifications are really huge, right? In terms of yeah. these things. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I think, you know, the the narrative was always you go to school and then you go get a job. Mm -hmm. And that's just because you have a degree doesn't mean that that's the next step yeah. automatically. I mean, there has to be, and while there are companies that, yes, like you need a bachelor's degree to be considered for this role. I mean, mm -hmm. in the long scheme of it, how relevant is that specialization going to be? So I don't know. We keep hearing talks about companies being, you know, squashing that need, but until that happens, yeah. you know, students are kind of put in the situation of, you know, either I pursue these companies where they're not releasing this need for a bachelor's degree, or we look at other career paths too. So I think you know, there needs to be a little bit more education at the high school level, as far as like, these are your options. This is what the market demand is. So at least, you know, I mean, I know, 
I didn't receive that. I mean, I probably mm -hmm. just knew, you know, from what friends and family were doing as far as professions, and then you eventually get to know that. So there probably right. needs to be a little bit more education at that level. So then kids know what their options are, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. I think there's always the talk that they're going to start lifting these college mm -hmm. degree needs or making it more accessible. And I think it's gotten a little bit better, but we're barely there yet. Yeah, it's, it's the same thing. Like, we're hiring for skills, skills-based hiring, skills-based right. hiring, right? You hear that all the time. Then you get a candidate, send the candidate over and they go, well, they don't have the, you know, the right background, et cetera, et cetera. Go, well, but they have the skills. No, no, <laughs> we want someone who's actually done this job before all the time, all the time, yeah. all yeah. the time. How about this one, Chris Kelly, one last, have, have one last one. Because this one is a weird one that I, I've seen happen a lot in interviewing where the interviewer plays hard to get. What what do you say? Is that good or bad? Should you play hard to get or not play uh, hard to get? The as far as oh, the interviewing, ahead. yeah. Oh, uh, the person who's interviewing for the job. Yeah, they play hard, right? Right, like playing hard to get. Uh, and I'm just using that term loosely, but like you know, the whole fee, the whole vibe they give off is. Yeah, I guess it depends on the role, right? I'm yeah. like. I mean, working in tech, like not everybody's going to come in like jumping around with big smiles on their face, which also like, I don't think yeah. that that is, I mean, very, yeah. not everybody's like that. So I right. think, you know, hard to get, I think it is important for them to convey that they want the role because I've seen people who kind of came in like wishy-washy, didn't really seem interested and the company saw that and they're like, well, I don't know what this person's deal is. They didn't really research the company. They didn't know anything about us, but this person did, and they seemed really enthusiastic. Mm -hmm. Like, it's usually not the greatest approach. I mean, you don't need to bounce in and be Susie Sunshine, but I think that you at least need to convey like, hey, listen, like I'm a fit and I would love to be considered for the role. So I don't I don't think that that's the best look, mm -hmm. but that's just my opinion. Christine, do you have an opinion on this one? I agree with Kelly. I think you should even explicitly state especially at the end of the interview that you still remain interested in this role because I think interviewers and hiring managers, they kind of want a sure thing. They don't want to take the chance on someone that might not accept the offer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with both because it's, and the reason I bring that one up in particular, I can't tell you how many people, and these are guys who tend to do this. They just like, they come in, right? And this, let's go pre-COVID when they come in, let's say interview with me in an office. And and it's almost like, do you know who I am? Do you know how great I am? <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> you know, you know, like, you, you know, you, you know, what's, you know, see their resume. What do you need my resume for? I'm so awesome. Like they they come across with this attitude how, that that they don't have to work for this interview and sell themselves because they're so great. And so that's kind of like hard to play hard to get, but also just, just a weird like way of coming across. Like I'm so great that can alienate, you know, mm. can alienate the recruiters, the, the hiring managers, the interviewers, because it's like, you know what, this person's gonna be so difficult, even if they're great and they have all these wonderful skills, how difficult are they gonna be if we hire this person? I think it'd drive us crazy. So- well yeah, I mean, it's a liability if you bring somebody in right? who's just not a good, you know, 
I don't want to say culture fit, personality fit, just a jerk. And then you're going to have attrition because the rest of the, the team <laughs> yeah. is like, I don't want to work with this guy. Exactly. And they get mad because it's like, who the right. heck is this person? Yeah. He's driving us crazy. Yes. <laughs> All, right. All right. So this was, look at this. This was like a really interesting conversation. So we went from, you know, what do recruiters do, the types of recruiters, what's going on in the job market, you know. Well, you know, all this information about like career advice and what to do, what not to do. So, right. I think for 10 o'clock in, in the morning, you got to give us credit. It's not right. so easy to do this at 10 o'clock in the morning too. <laughs> to do this. I think, I think Kelly, Christy, right. We gave a lot of great insights and information to everybody and, 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 and especially the last part in a nice jovial way. Right. So, so in a tough well, job market, we got to have, you know, fun here and there. Cause like, otherwise we're going nuts. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know how much actionable advice. Sorry if we just ranted for a little bit here. There was probably things I wanted to talk about that I didn't. So I apologize. Feel free to message me if there's something <laughs> that you have questions about. Well, speak of that, if somebody wants to reach you, how do they get in touch with you? Kelly? Yeah. So you can find me on LinkedIn. My mm -hmm. email is plastered all over my profile. <laughs> um, my inbox, I would probably go with email. Everything gets buried very quickly mm -hmm. in uh, LinkedIn. So also tip for everybody out there who's sending messages is a lot of us just, unless they have somebody who's mining through that, mm -hmm. I would, I'm team email, but everybody has, works differently. So email would be great. Would you want to share the email or put it? Yes, we'll put it's it Kelly. I was going to say K-E-L-L-I at NAC, K-N-A-K digital.com. Perfect. Excellent. Well, Kelly, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was fun. This yeah. is great. We, we really Thanks helped a lot of people. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, it's been fun. My pleasure. I think, you know, one of the things I love doing about this is because, you know, you, you get to give advice to people and help them out and try to give suggestions. You know, sometimes we could be right. Sometimes we could be wrong. But like, this is a time where people need this help. You know what I mean? They need advice from different people, you know, from us, from other people. And that's why I like bringing all sorts of different guests like yourself, because everyone has a different perspective on it. And then for people who watch this and, and hopefully keep watching it, they could then synthesize and say, oh, I like what, you know, you know, Kelly was talking about. Jack is an idiot. I don't really like that stuff. But Kelly, huh, this is really, you know, <laughs> interesting, you know, and so this way people could kind of form some, you know, opinions and understanding how these things work. And, um, and then hopefully we do it in an entertaining way. So like <laughs> what makes it drudgery to find a job, it makes it a little bit more fun. So, so yeah. thank you. Thank you, Kelly, Christine. Thanks yeah, everybody absolutely. for watching. Thanks for the support, and uh, we'll we'll see you tomorrow. Bye. Thanks. Bye, mm -hmm. everyone. Bye. Bye.